Welcome to the One Solution Podcast. In today's episode, we have a beautiful conversation between Dejan White and Patrick Jamar of the Rebels for Peace in Southside Chicago, and Brian Gleason, an LA-based therapist who's been working with youth for over 20 years. And it was a really candid, lovely conversation between people from different backgrounds, different ages, different upbringings, but about really the common humanity in our struggle and our ability to find resilience in the face of whatever struggles we we have. Um, And Brian brings his own beautiful personal story of growing up a gay kid in a Midwest sort of traditional uh, Catholic family and how the struggles he had is really what beautifully drew him to working with young people and looking to help them as his life's work. So um, sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is a really fun, beautiful, touching episode of um, young people talking with an older generation about the mind and the capacity to be resilient um, no matter what you're faced with in life. Welcome to the One Solution Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to explore if there really is one solution to all the world's problems. And perhaps that solution lies in the mind. The mind is both the source of those problems, but also the solution to those problems. That's just basically uh, uh, started right there. Um, I'm Dejan White, the CEO, co-founder at Rope. Rebel for Peace, work with One Solution. Um, I think you know a little a little, little bit about us, but um, if you want, we can give you a background about ourselves if you wanted to. Sure. Yeah. Why don't you give me a little brief intro and kind of maybe that'll kind of start the conversation going a little bit. All right. So um, my name Dejan White. Um, I uh, grew up on the south side of Chicago. I uh, moved to like four or five different houses in, 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 in my time living, in my 20 years living. Um, I would say I grew up the roughest, but I had the most, the most best upbringing that everybody else, well, that some people do be having. Um, I grew up rough, man. Um, I was around the whole mass of retaliation, violence, retaliation, violence. Like, that was my only way out, you feel? Like, that was my only thought that I always crossed my mind was retaliation and violence if it, if, if it wasn't dealing with sports like basketball, you feel me? So, but I learned this thing about my mind that Mari and Eric taught me that I don't got to put all my actions, well, all my thoughts in, into action. I don't have to do this in order to make myself feel better. Like, I don't got to keep living this negative life. I I do got a second option, and that's the peaceful life. And that was my biggest insight was just seeing that I can live a different life. You know, I don't got to live a life that was that was put on me, you feel me? I can live the life that I want to put out, you know? Yeah. So that's just my little background. And now I'm, now I'm living it, and I'm sharing my knowledge to everybody else. Nice. Nice. Thank you for that. How about you, Prince? Um, I'm from Chicago. No, I moved around a little bit growing up. I didn't have the worst upbringing. I, most of the like trials and stories that I have, like I put myself in a lot of situations. So I had um, <coughs> always moved a lot. So like I was always like put in a position to where I had to prove myself because I always was in a new area. So just really always having um, a trouble with just really finding a solid identity or being able to be comfortable with who I am. So growing up and always moving and then going to the suburbs and seeing the difference and how really diverse it is and where the care of who you are and what you wear goes down in particular areas versus to some. So just knowing that it is people that could be themselves and seeing that there and then coming back and meeting Dejan tomorrow and having a more, and Eric and Adik having a more open perspective towards the mind and how everybody is in their own reality and the reality and to respect everybody's um, dreams or life as long as, you know, it's not hurting nobody else. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. And, you know, when Mara talked to me about this, I was thinking to myself, you know, um, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, I'm a white guy, obviously, but I'm also gay. And so for me, it's like I, I live in two worlds sometimes, you know, and I'm trying to live in one world. And, um, you know, it, it's also like I relate a lot of times. I mean, I, I've been working with at-risk youth for like 20 years now out in Los Angeles where I live. And I think one of the reasons that I did that was because even though I grew up like, you know, middle class, upper middle class, state of Michigan, you know, nice parents, no abuse or anything. I mean, I still in some ways are used to feel like an at-risk youth, you know, I mean, and then I had to ask myself like, okay, so why am I identifying with this? You know, am I just trying to like, you know, save people or whatever? And I really wasn't, you know, I mean, I, I would say that the work that I do a lot of the time is just kind of being alongside somebody. And you know, it's amazing. I, mo I work mostly with Latino youth and, you know, some gang members and a little bit the African-American community, a little bit the Asian community. And, you know, I, I mean, I always find that what people are looking for is, you know, just to be understood and seen. And that's what I'm looking for. And, you know, if I could just talk to them as my real self and they could talk to me as their real self then, you know, we, we really kind of reached that place of conversation. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's what really attracted me to the work. You know, I, I had to admit to myself that even though I didn't have like an inner city sort of bring upbringing, I still had some, you know, excuse my language, I still had some shit going down in me that was pretty, pretty rough. And I had some real anger and I, I had rage, you know, I had real rage. And, you know, part of that was the gay thing. Part of it was other stuff. But, you know, when these gang kids would come in and talk to me, they were expecting to be shamed or taught something or this is the this is the right way to live. This is what you should do. And I, I had no interest in that. You know, I mean, I found myself kind of not just identifying with them, but, you know, we were able to to talk and to kind of come at a solution not through like an agenda, but just by being ourselves. Yeah. I see you uh said said something that uh struck me like you said you said that even though you lived like in the upper middle class, you still had the same trials and tribulations as a as a normal kid. And that's that's something that I want a lot of people to like see that we that we all on the same playing field when they when when it comes to the mind game, you feel me? we are on the same playing field because it's like I can be living living out of a dumpster and 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 have a more joyful upbringing than you had, or you can ha or you can live in mansions and then have a have a have a worse upbringing than I had in a way. It doesn't matter like the situation that you're in. It's 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 like it's all a mad thing, and that's what we that's what we like, like try to do. We try to show show people everything is from in the inside in a way, cause it's like can't no external thing make you feel any type of way. You feel me? It's like it's your own thinking about yourself in a way. It's like it's like have what you think inside your head is gonna be what's portrayed up on the outside world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's so it's what's interesting too. As you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, I mean, what I'm finding or what I found is that. Some people do struggle more than others, and some people do have a worse circumstance than others, you know, and, there's, and there is more overcoming that sometimes needs to be done. Is it better in Beverly Hills than it is in South Central? Yeah, um, but I think what you're saying is still true. Like, you know, the kids in Beverly Hills can commit suicide, and the kids in South Central can do the same thing, and the struggle is not the same, you know, it's, it's, Look, it's good to have stuff. It's good to have money. It's good to have those opportunities mm -hmm. and advantages. I'm, you know, that's, I think we all get that. But I think what you and I are talking about is, you know, where can we meet? Where can we find common ground? And it, it's tricky, you know, because you don't want to just bypass the struggle and say, hey, it's all one. No, no, that's not true. Right. You know, I mean, some people really struggle differently. And, you know, the gay struggle for me was a bigger struggle than my heterosexual, mostly white friends when I was growing up in high school. You know, I felt 
suicidal at times and I felt like an orphan and you know and that lasted for a while and you know they didn't have to deal with that but everybody's got to deal with themselves you know and so for me it was like a two-part deal first part was I had to deal with the reality of being gay you know I didn't want to bypass it I didn't want to say I'm just like everybody else I also didn't want to say I'm better than anybody else or worse, you know, but I had to, it was my reality. It still is. And I can't just bypass that. You know, I can't like do this high jump to this like great spiritual place. Um, but at the same time, I can get stuck in the being gay part. And, and I think maybe that's true for all what I'll call minority cultures that, you know, you can, you can do two things. You can deny it. I'm just like everybody else, or you can like stick, get kind of stuck in it, you know, and not find like the common solution. And again, working with the at-risk youth really helped show me that, you know. Um, I'll never forget one time we did a retreat, you know, and we had like some mentors, you know, mostly like the, you know, the white dudes from LA, producers, directors, like Hollywood film people. And then we had the at-risk youth, you know, and, so the youth are getting up at the retreat and they're saying, yeah, man, you know, I, um, I remember, you know, I, I, I saw somebody get shot, you know, and everybody in the retreat's like, damn, you know? And, um, so then the guy sits down, the youth that's speaking and this other guy gets up and, you know, he's like a 50s, 60s white guy's like, wow, you know, thank you for that. And, you know, you've struggled so much and man, it took so much courage to get up and talk about that. Finally, this youth stood up and said, dude, stop talking about me. You know, I just showed you my struggle. Now, would you please show me your struggle? Because like, that's where we're trying to meet here. You know, we're trying to be human. And basically what he was saying was, I don't need your white guilt. You know, I need you as a person and I need your heart and soul like right now, because, you know, I don't want to be the only one, you know, because a lot of these youth have to do that. You know, they just have to be in the struggle. They have no choice. But the people who do have some choice can still choose to enter into the right struggle and try to be themselves and share, you know, share who they are. And, and I think that's what does it. I really, I think that's where we connect. Um, can you um, elaborate on what you mean about um, choices? You said that um, for some people there is no choice, but for some it is. What you mean? That's a good question. Um, what I saw and still see with a lot of the at-risk youth that I work with is they were born into struggle. You know, they were born into violence and guns and drugs sometimes, and the choice was never really given to them. You know, here it is. Other people were not born into that. And you know what? I don't know if they chose like a life of drugs as an example, or they chose to deny their own struggle. Um, so maybe choice is the wrong word. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, how does anybody be their real selves and show up? And I think for some people, they've had to show up their whole life. You know, I mean, they've had violence, they've had, you know, or, or like soldiers at war, you know, they, they, they can't help but be in a struggle and, you know, um, their struggle is to try to get out of that, you know, heightened emotion all the time and everything else. I think for other people, they're kind of in denial or they think that things are really comfortable when they're not, or they're, they're not seeing their own hatred, their own violence, their own humanness, you know, and they, in psychology, there's a term called projection where you just project it onto somebody else. Oh, well, you're an at-risk youth, therefore you're struggling and I'm not. And I don't think that's true. And, and I think that it kind of robs people of their own soul to not be honest about what your struggle is. Because that's where we meet, you know. And, and I'm thinking of a line from a poem by this guy Rumi. Something like, you know, if my particular pain can cancel your particular pain, then there's nothing particular about pain. In other words, we're all struggling, we're all suffering, so let's talk. And um, I, I was wondering too, like about like for the younger or the youth that's growing up and 
trying to express themselves in that area with family that's not really supportive. Do you have any um, experience in that area or advice to give to any youth that would be going through that? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I mean, what I see is, you know, uh, and there are a lot of communities that struggle with this. Uh, maybe all the communities do. Um, I mean, it's funny because at, at these retreats, every single time, you know, some guy like in a gang or whatever will stand up. It's like, yeah, my little cousin's gay. Like, I don't know. What should I do about that? You know, so it's, so it's everywhere. And, um, you know, so what I try to do is a couple of things. Um, there are always safety issues. I mean, some people, if they come out at 14 or if they come out at 25 and are still living at home, aren't going to be living at home anymore. That's just the way it is in some houses. You know, I mean, we're making progress, but a lot of homes are like, you know, if you're gay, then you're wrong and get out. And so there's a lot of gay homeless people um, in Los Angeles. I'm not sure about Chicago, but in Los Angeles, a lot of the homeless people are gay and they've been kicked out. Um, you know, so there's a safety issue, you know, and I, I've never been a person to be like, hey, man, you got to come out. You got to get real because, you know, no, I mean, not if you're going to get kicked out of your house, you know, I mean, but at the same time, like I try to encourage them in mostly subtle ways. I, I really, I'm not a pushy person. You know, I try to encourage them by being myself to, to come out to me, you know, I mean, I had a 13 year old one time and, you know, he just started crying in like the third or fourth session. And I'm like, what's up? You know? And he's like, well, there's this person I really loved. And he kept calling this person. And finally I said, you know, do you have the person's name? So that's a nice, easy, subtle way rather than saying, are you telling me you're gay? Because then that can shove him back in the closet. You know, it's a very fragile thing. So, you know, I, I mean, I kind of laughed and I said, you know, do you have this person's name? And it's like, yeah, it's Daniel. I'm like, okay, okay. And at that point, then I come out. You know, I mean, I don't always come out to all of my clients. There's this therapy confidentiality thing going on, and it's not about me. It's about them. But I do to a lot of them. And, um, again, by me being who I am and not hiding, but also not pushing myself on people, that gives the space for people to be who they are, whatever it is. And it's interesting with people who are of like an ethnic minority and a sexual minority, you know, like African-American and gay, Latino and gay. Cause it's like a double kind of coming out, you know, it's like, it's hard to be African-American or Latino, but then it's hard to be gay. And you find sometimes rejection in your own ethnic minority community. And then you have to go to like West Hollywood or something. If you're living out in San Gabriel Valley and you know, then you're what in the bars and you know, that can be dangerous too. So, um, so it's two things, you know, it's the safety and it's the being yourself and allowing them to, you know, come out in their own way. Well, what was your mind evolution from, 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 from like when the time you realized that who you was, and from the time to like where you told people who you was, how was your, what was your mad evolution part? I, I, I'm smiling because there's a funny story that goes with this. Uh, and it includes Mara's father, my brother. So, you know, I'm living in LA. I'm in my early twenties. I'm not out yet. And I'm writing screenplays. You know, that's what people move to LA for, you know, to get their big break. And um, so I write a screenplay about a gay character. And so, you know, I send it around. I send it to my brother and I send it to a few other people. My brother calls me and he's like, uh, Brian, um, why, why are you writing a screenplay about a gay character? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, that, that, that community really struggles and I think they should get equal time. And he's like, are you gay? <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of, because it's hard to come out, you know, especially to family. Um, but, but the humor is what kind of moved that whole story for me, you know. Um, 
I mean, he was direct about it, but also I knew there was enough love there so I could do it. Um, you know, to answer your question, the mindset for me or, or what shifts for me is um, it, it's always been a huge struggle for me to be me. And the gay part is a big part of that. It's, you know, it's funny because we can hide, you know, like I'm not African-American. I'm not Latino. I can walk, I can walk into a bank, you know, sit down with the senior vice president. Oh, you know, you, you're a nice middle-class white guy. Sure. No problem. You know, my, my skin's not pink, you know, because you're gay. It's, it's like, you know, it, it you can hide it, That's what being in the closet is. And so that's a good thing and it's a bad thing, you know, because I can hide, I hide too much and I don't show myself and I live in a lot of fear. I mean, there's something about just having to be who you are. And I think we're kind of back to your choice question from a few minutes ago where when you don't really have that choice, you know, like this is who I am, then you got to do it. And, you know, that's, that's a particular kind of struggle. I get that. You know, sometimes it's nice to hide and it's scary when you can't. But hiding can really, um, it can kill you. It can really kill you. It's a slow death, you know. And, and I think it's why a lot of gay people end up really with a lot of depression and anxiety is because they're living these two lives, you know. And it's just like, it's, it's such a relief when you can just come out and, you know, and then I realized that life itself is about coming out. It's about being who you are. And so it took me a long time, but I see gay as a, a real gift. You know, it, had I not been gay, um, I don't think my life would be as big because I would not have gone through as much. And, um, you know, I would, have, I would not have done some of the things that I do, including working with at-risk youth which I also think came a lot from the gay part of me. Again, it's that struggle, you know? I was looking around for, okay, is it just me? Or is anybody else struggling here? And then when I found these people, um, I know it was like I was coming home. That's how your fear left when you, when you, when you realized that it was other people that was like dealing with the same issue, that's when your fear left? You know, the fear doesn't completely leave. I'll be honest with you. You know, I, when I walk out my front door, I tighten up a little bit still, you know, and I'm 55. Um, I think what happens is that you, I develop a relationship with it, you know, and, and there's a quote that I use a lot that I like, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to walk through it. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, I love that. I love that. It's like, okay, yep, there's fear. Yeah, okay, you know, what do you want today? Um, do you want me to shut myself inside and drink a bottle of wine and not talk to anybody and not answer my phone? Or do you have this, you know, project out here with this at-risk youth or this piece of writing or whatever where you could actually risk yourself and, you know, and, and, and show up? Um, you know, which led me to do the, the Rise Up and Shout project, which was, you know, a, a chance for LGBT youth to get up on stage and share their voice. And, you know, they were like, you know, F no, F that. And I'm like, no, you need to do this. You know, I mean, the more you can get on the stage of life, um, as scary as that is, it's a worse fear and a worse life to kind of shut yourself off and deny the fear and try to like, posture you know so that that's some of what i found can you tell us more about that um that uh show you did in la yeah the rise up and shout um so i i and a couple of mentors of mine started this in like 2006 2007 and you know it's just you know friends my own age i think i was in my 30s at the time we all just got together and it's like well you know, okay, so we've come out, we have jobs, some of us have husbands, we have established lives. What about the youth? You know, I mean, there's still suicide, there's still drugs, you know, there's still alcoholism. Like, what do we do, you know, without like preaching or, you know, putting up posters, don't drink or, you know, no hate zone. And, you know, it's like, no, 
Um, so we decided that, you know, we're living in Hollywood. Let's do like an anti-Hollywood kind of thing and do a show that's more about bringing your voice out than it is about bringing your talent out, you know? And we had a bunch of people show up with their headshots and have a vocal coach. And that's all great if you've got that talent. And we're like, no, this is more about somebody who trembles when they speak. This is more about somebody who can't play the guitar, but if they don't play the guitar, they may get suicidal. And so it's not about talent. It's about a voice. It's about your soul that really wants to come out. And, you know, so again, for me, it's getting, moving through that fear and even trembling while I'm speaking and having my hand shake while I'm speaking, you know, that's fine. Um, that shows I got energy going on and something's trying to move through me. And so we would work with the youth for like a year. We do workshops, we got community leaders together, you know, uh, therapists, priests, activists, you know, and, and the elders would work with the youth. You know, I think that there is an intergenerational dialogue that's really important that has to happen. And that's what we tried to do, you know, to mentor them to get their voice on stage. So we did, you know, we did like four of those shows and did a film about it and it, it was really cool. That's nice to like really give them the space and opportunity to be able to be comfortable and to have the platform to express themselves because I feel like that's what's missing in a lot of the communities in that areas having the, it be a comfortable and normal thing. We always try to create like separation or indifference when you know it's something that we not doing. So giving them a platform is definitely safe and positive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, I mean, I feel the same way. I never had that platform when I was a youth. So it felt important for me to give that and, you know, to really make the distinction. Um, and this is important for me personally, that so much of what I see in Hollywood is people using their talents to actually deny who they are. I mean, I think celebrity is its own disease. And that's why I think they're so messed up sometimes because they're becoming the person that the audience wants them to be, not who they are. And our whole thing was, no, 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 put that away. Like, let's for a moment at least try to put a village together, try to put a community together, which is always temporary, by the way. Um, you have to keep building it all the time, I found. Um, and if we can do that, and again, it goes back to the sharing of our stories and the struggles that we're all in. If we can all do that, then we feel the real empowerment, which I think is not about self-esteem, but it's about your soul. Like, okay, here's my voice and it's shaky. And, um, but I feel strangely confident enough in my shakiness to put that out there. I had another question too. Yeah. Um, for those people that's, that, that, that like don't got that platform and that's got they so really closed in and like having that battle inside their head of who they want to be and who they are, what type of advice would you give to those people that's having that battle in their head of who they want to be and who they are? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny because when you're, when you're asking your question, I thought about Harvey Milk. I don't know if you guys know who that is or not, but he's one of the great gay pioneers. You know, he, he got killed for what he did, which was, you know, to, yeah, I think he was the first openly gay supervisor or the supervisor in San Francisco. He might've become mayor. And anyway, Harvey Milk's comment always was, we got to keep doing this work because somebody in South Dakota doesn't have this chance. You know, we got to be thinking about the kid in South Dakota. We got to be thinking about the kid in Texas. You know, they're not in San Francisco. They're not in Los Angeles. They're not in Chicago. They're not in New York, you know, and it's harder for them. You know, these are the ones that are going to get kicked out of their house, you know, and then what are you going to do in the middle of winter in South Dakota if you get kicked out of your house? You know, there's no gay and lesbian center. There's no, to my knowledge, you know, and I'm not trying to pick on South Dakota, but you get my point, you know, where, and, and, you know, that's why I did the film, you know, it's like, okay, well, we can just do rise up and shout. It's for, you know, it's for the LA LGBT youth and all that, but 
I did the documentary film, you know, one, because I like making films. It's why I came to Hollywood. You know, I finally got a chance to do one for real that I wanted to do. And two, because it got it out to a bigger audience, you know, and it, it showed people that, you know, you can do this and you have a voice. Sometimes they got to hang on for 10 years. You know, maybe they're not going to get out of where they are to the city or to wherever they want to go, you know? Um, and, and sometimes you just got to hang on until you find that voice. I mean, I'm working with a 16 year old now in El Monte, California, which is, you know, a heavily Latino neighborhood. They've got some gang activity and, you know, also a big sort of Christian influence. Um, and, you know, he's like, why do I even keep trying? You know, I can't, I can't meet anybody here in El Monte. You know, I, I'm still getting called a fag. And, um, and I'm like, you know, man, just hang on, just hang on. You know, when you're 25, you're going to be glad when you fall in love and really find out who you are, you're going to be glad you did it. And, um, so that's the hard part is, you know, what we have to realize. And, you know, maybe you guys realize this too in your communities, there's still a lot of people that are never going to get close to this stuff. And, um, that's the hard part about doing this work. Yeah. Well, I think that's, 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 that's like the beauty of it too, though. Cause it's like, it shows how, how devoted you is to making it happen though. You know, cause like the harder it, the harder it is, the bigger the sacrifice, you know? So it's like, it shows that you're really devoted to sharing your message and like really trying to help people. And that's like, that's real rare, you know? So you see, it's, it's a blessing too, you know? Yeah, it is. A, you're right. You're right. And something I thought of when you were just talking to John is, um, I don't know if you feel this way, but you know, I've never fully gotten rid of, and I'll use a little psychobabble language here, but you know, that's okay. Um, I've never really completely gotten rid of the fear or, or of that orphan inside of me. There's a part of me that's still an orphan. There's a part of me that still feels like an orphan. And there's a part of me that still feels rejected. And that's a big part of why I continue to do the work. You know, I'm healing myself at the same time I'm healing the other person if I'm doing the work the right way. And that's why I never trust these like salvationist approaches. Oh, it's all about the youth. No, it's not. It's about me and it's about the youth. And if we're both not getting something, something's not right. Cause I don't want to preach to anybody. I don't have the answer to anybody's life. I mm -hmm. want to connect with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel the same, same way too. Cause it's like, like, even though I am on this route that I'm on, I still got those shaky thoughts inside my head, you know? Like, it's still, like, I still got those violent urges that I had when I was growing up, you know? I still got those violent thoughts. At the same time, I don't let my thoughts control me in a way, you feel me? Like, I still got that side of me. Like, it's still up on my back shoulder. It's, it's like the two devils. I get to, I get to like, like choose which one to listen to, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, once you got that insight, once you got that power that you got that choice in a way, you feel me? It's like, you can knock that one out the, you can knock that one out the window, but it's like, it's still going to come back because it's a thought, you feel me? It's still going to come back. It's still going to mess with you, but you got to have that resilience to like, let it like tell it like, nah, man, back off, you know? I'm not for today, you know. You still got that resilience. So, so it's like the pain or the hurt, like it never leaves, but you get stronger to battle it in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the kind of it's the old uh, Nietzsche thing. He was, you know, a philosopher. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, yeah, no, and I'm totally on board with that. But it's funny. I was also thinking as you were talking that you know. Uh, I have a friend, Luis Rodriguez, he's a poet and, you know, he's an ex-gang member and, and he's a sober man and um, he's 65, you know, and he did a lot of work to get out of the gang and knock a heroin habit. I'm not telling you anything he wouldn't tell you and it's in his books. He's a published author. But one of his latest books was titled, It Calls You Back. And what he meant was, you know, you leave the gang, but the gang can still call you back in here. You know what I'm saying? And you leave the drugs, but you can wake up one morning and it's like, what the hell? I got a craving. I'm 65. 
And, and I think the reason that he wrote that It Calls You Back book is, again, to get real about this, you know, to have a relationship. I think you got to have a relationship with all the shit inside you, the good and the bad, you know, and then you start to realize there really is no good and bad at a certain level. It's just what's there. And, you know, so the stuff calls me back, you know, the going in the closet, the shame, the anger, you know, sometimes the deep depression, um, it calls me back. And I try to do two things, you know, one, most important, don't deny that. Don't deny that, you know, it's, it's real. And it's coming for a reason. I may not know what that reason is. And this is where I kind of disagree with some of these self-esteem movements that are like, well, you just got to get past that. I don't think it's about getting past it. I think it's about building a relationship with it. And, and that's part two. So part one is, okay, this is where I'm at right now. Okay. Part two is, what's my relationship with it? And I've never found in the long run that any of the so-called negative emotions aren't somehow aimed at a healing process, including anger. You know, I mean, Sometimes anger for me stands me up on my feet and says, no, that's bullshit. You know, that, that shit that Trump just said, that's bullshit. And I'm not going to just sit here and be like, oh, it's okay. You know, no, it's wrong. I'm raising my voice. It's wrong. And I'm angry and people are going to get hurt. And so, you know, anger can have love in it and anger can have, you know, real courage in it. I think, but like what I'm hearing from you is you develop a relationship with what lands on your shoulder. And, and rather than either trying to deny it or trying to get like completely overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Because that's the thing, and it's always a constant battle, and that's where we try to just throw it away and say, oh, you just don't need to think about it. You just don't need to focus on it. You need to have control over it in the relationship that you build with it too, to where you're not um, fully struck in. Like, you can still live your life. You can still go on about your day when you have those thoughts or those urges for particular things because it doesn't stop. You know, we all have bad thoughts or just negative emotions or past trauma that comes back around. And once you have that control over yourself and your mind, which takes time and it's never a thing that you get to the level. It's just a constant thing that you always work to with yourself and with others around you. So yeah, yeah. that's great to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks again for that. And, you know, and it reminded me that that's why that's a part of why I work with the youth, you know, and, and maybe it's a selfish part of me. I don't know, but you know, again, they're real because they have to be real. They're also real because they have courage. But, you know, you walk into the room with a youth that's in that struggle and you got to be who you are. You know, they're just going to smell it out if you're not. And, and that gives me permission to be who I am and to realize that, oh, yeah, I still got that anger. I still got that fear. I still got that regret, you know, and... When I can be with somebody in that, somebody who's real and has some courage going on, then I'm like, oh, okay, that means I'm human. That means that I'm alive. That means that I'm in the struggle. I think to be alive is to be in the struggle, you know? And one of my mentors, Michael Mead, always says, you know, you can be in the right struggle or you can be in the wrong struggle, but you're going to be in struggle. And the wrong struggle is booze and drugs. The wrong struggle is sexing around too much. You know, the wrong struggle is the violence. The wrong struggle is denial of the struggle. You know, the right struggle is, okay, I'm scared today. Who do I talk to? Or I'm pissed off. What, what do I do about that? And, you know, you, you, you kind of move it, you, you move it through. Because, um, again, I think, I think all this stuff is really aimed at healing. I'm not trying to be like white picket fence about that, but you know, more often than not, my anger wants to stand me up, wants a bigger life for me, wants the change that I've been avoiding and um, is pissed off at, you know, a system that sometimes kills gay people. And so I should be pissed off, 
not let it overwhelm me, not become one of these angry all the time people, but do something with the anger, which I think is what we're doing here right now. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. I say yeah. What you say? No, I thought you was gonna say something. Oh yeah, um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know what? Be old for that to happen. <laughs> like I, I just really, I really forgot what was I was just gonna say. If it's brilliant, um, it'll come back to you. It'll come back. But okay, yeah. well, let me just skip it. <laughs> I'll ask that. Um, I got a question. Yeah. What what motivated you guys to do this? Like this particular interview with me as a gay person. What what was the uh, inspiration for that or the struggle for that? The inspiration for me to be doing this is just honestly just just to get a different perspectives. Just, just like, I like, I like talking with people that that's, that's like new where I can learn some new stuff from, you know, that might be selfish, but you feel me? That's, I, I, I like, I was interested in like what you had to say, like, like, like something, something that, that like I can take in for myself that I can pass out to a, another person in a way you feel me? Cause it's like, I, I just feel like, feel like, feel like you you was you like you was gonna say something that that stuck to me, and I was like eager as to talk to you because it's like I never talk with nobody like this. You feel me? So it's like 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 me growing up, I always avoided conversation like this. But with the new insight that I got, you feel me? I stopped judging people off off back and like trying to get to know that person. So basically, just cause cause you're a new person, and it was like I wanted to see like what what can I get from you? What can I show you? What what can you show me? You feel me? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, and it, what, what it reminded me of was, you know, one of the hardest things for me sometimes and one of the saddest things, and I, I get it, you know, I have compassion for myself and others sometimes, um, is, you know, I'm working with a family. They're, I don't know, Asian, African-American, Latino. You know, they're, they're, they're not... They're a minority family of some sort or another. And um, once they find out about me as gay, the, the work kind of shuts down. And there's a part of me that's like, wait a minute. We have a, we have a struggle here. We're both struggling with something. We're both struggling with whatever you want to call it, being on the outsider, being a minority, being an orphan. You know, Can we meet there? Because we can heal each other and we can help each other. And, you know, I'm not trying to be naive about that either. Sometimes it just doesn't work and the relationship's not there. That's fine. But, you know, and, and I've worked with Islamic families, you know, fundamentalist Islamic families. And I've been able to find that ground through the being gay part, not the white part, not the Christian part, you know, and they're like, and, and, and it's like a light goes off in them. They're like, oh, so you get it. You get what it's like to be on the outside. You get what it's like not to be accepted. You get what it's like to fear, like going out in public and being who you are. And I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get it a lot. And, you know, that's, that's where we can help each other. But sometimes, um, and I'm guilty of this too, it's like, oh, well, you're, don't, you're not gay, so you don't get it. Or you're not African-American, so you don't get it. And to a certain degree, that's true. You know, and that's to be respected. Um, but there's also a different level where, you know, we're both in pain and how can we help each other? Right. And that's a strong part too, because because it's like it's like it is true with with what you say, fam, like the next person won't never feel the same pain that you feel. But we all feel pain, you know? And it, 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 it's connecting, it's really connecting, you know? I mean, and I got this from another one of my teachers, you know, I got a little, little sayings I go around with, I'm kind of nutty that way. Um, you know, in our victories, sometimes we're alone, but in our defeat and in our struggle, we're often together. And, you know, to me, again, it's about the connection. 
like, you know, I'll find myself going around and kind of posturing for a while. You know, a couple of months I'm posturing. I'm good. I'm good. You know, yeah, I'm writing this and I'm teaching this and therapy practice. I'm good, you know. And what I'm not saying is, well, I woke up last night kind of suicidal, you know. And look, I don't want to go around and, you know, throw out the therapy couch for everybody all the time. It's not about that. But, like, I want to be able to show up as me. And um, when I'm able to do that or when somebody else is able to do that, which, you know, I think we're kind of doing right now, then we connect. And it's really about that, you know. I mean, I don't know if we had answers to any of these world problems, but I think we're connecting. Definitely. It's a connection, like, just human to human. And that's what we try to express to everybody, that we all go through struggles, even though they may be different on different levels. We all will have the different experience from them, but we all can still connect on just human basis as I have feelings, you have feelings. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing right there. I think you just said it in a nutshell, you know, and sometimes I'll be in these, you know, gay activist groups or whatever, and, you know, they want to they wanna be what I call separatist, you know, gay people are better than other people. No, we're not. We're different. We're not better or worse. And, you know, we've come to bring ourselves like other people have come to bring themselves. So sometimes in my own community, I'll struggle because they're not getting the common struggle thing at all. They're just wanting to be like too unique. Um, and then sometimes, you know, uh, I'll be in my community and we'll all reach out to other communities and it'll work. Um, but it's tough because, you know, like the first move is, you know, sort of be who you are, come out of the closet, which I think we all do in one way, shape or form. But then the second move is, um, oh shit, I'm in my own community and I'm feeling shut down. Like, what's that all about? I totally believe this was a great talk. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. You guys got any more questions? Um, Not off top of my head, P. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, any uh, just like, I don't want to say advice because I feel like I said that too many times. Just like any like insight for the youth or someone that is still questionable, like even after this whole talk, if they still were just needed a few tips to be able to get in a place to be able to find themselves or maybe uh, just how you specifically, like a few things that, really guaranteed your comfortability yeah yeah um yeah no i'm, I'm glad you asked that because i you know i do want to i always want to reach out to those people and i'm still one of them too um you know my first thing is you know have let's see now i want to think about that a second um You know, find your tribe. We all got to find our tribe. Find your tribe. It's there. It may not be there for 10 years, but it's there. Find your tribe. What does that mean? There are teachers and mentors that have something to give you. Um, you might not find it for 10 years. You might find it tomorrow, but they're there. You know, so hang on. Sometimes it's about straight up survival. Just hang on. You know, um, Pay attention to what really is moving inside you. Like what's important, what's getting you up? Like what is, what, what gets at you, good or bad? Don't pay attention to the good or bad, what's getting at you? And don't let people talk you out of that. You know, you may have to hold on to it for 10 years, you know? If you're in the school system, you sure as hell can't be yourself. But don't let that stuff shut you down. Know that there's an intelligence in you that's trying to get out and it may take time. It's kind of like find your tribe. Pay attention to the urges that really motivate you at a deep level. They're the most intelligent thing. They're more intelligent than what the church says, what your family says, what your buddies say, what social media says. 
what's really getting you up every day all the time, whether it's joyous or bothersome, is important. And so pay attention to it. You may have to write it in a journal and come back to it 10 years later, but don't let it go. Um, and then lastly, having said all that, be gentle with yourself. You know, these things take time. And um, you're going to find it, you know, these kind of longings, these, these really strong, you know, parts of your soul, they're not going to be denied. You know, they're, they're not, you know. So if you get suicidal, if you get running away from home, if you get into drugs, do what you got to do to survive and hang on, you know, because... 10 years from now, it's like that documentary they did on the Golden Gate Bridge survivors who jumped off. Every single one of them, five seconds after they jump, I wish I hadn't done it. So, you know, those kind of urges, like the really dark urges, the suicidal ones, you know, the, the drug ones. I'm not saying pay attention to those, you know, survive through those, but pay attention to the urges and the, the movements of your own soul that are like, you know, I'm angry at injustice, or I'm looking at a future love, or I love a piece of poetry or a movie that really speaks to me, and I'm just going to hang on to that and put it next to my soul for 10 years because I can't come out for a while. Hang on to that. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. You cut out there for a second. Sorry, yeah. I disconnect. It's raining hard. And Anything else? Yes, I got a yeah. question. Yeah. Um, how has your mindset changed from um from the time where when you just really ex got into acceptance and from the time when you were getting there and how do you use your mindset that you got to get to this point to continue to grow? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've learned, this might be because of my age is, um, you know, forgiveness really is huge, you know, and I've had a lot of the dark thoughts. I've had a lot of the hostile thoughts and things like that. And, you know, um, I always remember a line from another poem, which is like, you know, at the end of the day, put God on trial, put God on trial. You know, I'm not trying to be religious here, but it's like, don't put yourself on trial. You know, I mean, really, none of us asked for a lot of these struggles, but here they are. Um, and I think when you can really forgive yourself and be gentle with yourself and pay attention to those you know, urges in your soul that are really motivating you in a creative way, then I think that that takes you a long way home. You know, like Dijon and I were talking about a little bit ago, it still calls you back. Some of the shit is still there, but you do develop a different relationship with it. I don't think, I don't ever think it's about anybody changing themselves. I really don't. I think it's about building a relationship with yourself and with this joy and anger and hostility and beauty and compassion and um you know and and that's the work we do in our relationship with life you know those of you that have girlfriends husbands boyfriends whatever you got to build the same relationship with yourself it's patience it's tolerance it's forgiveness it's gentleness and and it's speaking up when the love is motivating you to speak up that was amazing Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time. This meant a lot to me.